Are you ready?
he who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That means he can come back at any moment. He can come back right now. He's coming quickly. It'll happen in the blink of an eye. We'll be caught up with him in the air. Notice that he says, I'm coming quickly. And the believer says, amen, come soon. Is that what you are saying? Is that your heart's cry? Some people will be left behind. In that moment, when the rapture comes, will you be left behind? So the question is, are you ready? Are you ready? we can make a video of the rapture to try to get you thinking about what it's going to be like for those who are caught up and what about those who are left behind. But what we can't show you is what's the difference between the two. Why will someday some people go up to be with Jesus and some remain? And here's a verse to get us thinking. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22. This is what Paul writes at the end of a long letter. He says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. And then he says, our Lord, come. There's a thought here that the difference between whether you're going to be left behind or whether you might go to be with Jesus is the first phrase there. If anyone has no love for the Lord, the question is, do you love Jesus Christ? Because if you love him, surely he's going to come and get you to be with him. But if you don't love him, Well, then the idea here is that you would be accursed. And the word here in the Greek is anathema. It's one of the strongest words you could possibly use. It means to curse. You could even say to damn is the idea there. If there's no love for Jesus, then there's no hope. But then it says, our Lord come. And it uses not a Greek word here. The letter is written in Greek. But all of a sudden it uses an Aramaic word, maranatha. Come, O Lord, or our Lord, come. So it sounds like even at the time of 1 Corinthians, when Paul's writing that letter, they're already using this Aramaic word as kind of a statement. They're using it to say, hey, we want Jesus to come back. We're so excited. We can't wait to be with him. So they would say, Maranatha. And that was the way that throughout now history, Christians have said, I want Jesus to come back. I want to experience this event we call the rapture. Let's look at it. Grab your Bible and open it up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's why we're talking about it here this morning, because we've come to this passage in our text, and we're taking three weeks to break it down. 1 Thessalonians 4, 
13 to 18. And if you look at these verses, we talked last week about those who are asleep or those who die. What's going to happen to us when we die? Where does our soul go? And the future resurrection that we will experience. But now we want to focus on this mysterious event that we refer to as the rapture. So let's read the whole passage together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Please follow along with me as I read God's word for us this morning. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're looking at a promise here this morning. We're looking at a prophecy in the Bible that is yet to come that if you are a Christian person, at some point, all who are alive, who are Christians, will be caught up, it says. And we will meet Jesus in the air. And from that moment forward, you will be with Jesus for all of eternity. That's what we're here to talk about this morning. This is something the Bible says is really going to happen. And it's something that we should look forward to. I hope that from this morning, forever into the future, when you hear the idea of the rapture, you will not think of what it is. You will not think of when it is going to happen. No, the question that should come to your mind about the rapture is, who? When do I get to see Jesus? When do I get to be with Him? Always. That's what I want more than anything else in life. He died for me. He saved me. I want to be with Jesus Christ. I hope that's the desire of your heart. And here's a promise to you this morning that Jesus is going to come and get you if you're one of their, his people. Is that good news to anybody here this morning? That This is going to happen. Hasn't happened yet. Could happen soon. It's coming. And just in case some of you don't believe it, just in case you're like, I'm not sure about this whole thing. Well, look how he starts in verse 15. He wants to get people's attention. He wants to let people know he's not just expressing his opinion or his best guess. No, he says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Let me tell you something that God told me. That's how he starts it out. He brings a level of authority into it because he knows this is going to be maybe a tough pill for some people to swallow. That all the Christians are going to go meet Jesus in the clouds. Never seen anything like that before. Sounds a little suspicious to me. No, let me tell you, this is a word from the Lord. And here's how it's going to go down. Verse 16, the Lord himself, Jesus, is going to come down from heaven and there's going to be a cry of command. That's quite possibly the command that we learned about last week from John 5 where Jesus is going to call those who have died in Christ to rise again and come be with him. A cry of command, the voice of an archangel. So there's all kinds of sound and power in this moment. And then it says, with the sound of the trumpet of God. 
And it's quite possible that this trumpet is actually the the trumpet blast referred to throughout the scripture that ushers in the day of the Lord, a time of judgment that will come upon the earth. We refer to it as a time of tribulation when God will begin to pour out his wrath upon our planet that we believe is coming in the future. Well, this trumpet could be the beginning of that. And then it says that we who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up. Harpazo is the Greek word. It means to be snatched to be stolen, to be taken by force. Like Jesus is going to come and take us up to himself so that we will be with him. It says, we who are alive. There's going to come a generation of Christian people on this planet who will not die, but they will be taken up straight into the clouds to be with Jesus. And I vote for us. Anybody with me on that? I would like to experience this. See, And look what Paul even says. Then we who are alive. He includes himself in this group of people that Jesus is going to come and get. It is clear, as we study these passages this morning, it was the expectation of the Apostle Paul that he would see this rapture of Jesus Christ. That's what the Thessalonians clearly thought. They didn't think they were going to die. They thought Jesus was going to come and get them. And now, 2,000 years later, we're used to people dying. We think that's the way that it's going to work. But it says that there's going to come one group of people where it won't work that way. And we'll go straight to be with Jesus Christ. This is a promise. This is going to happen. The Bible doesn't tell us when it's going to happen. It could happen at any time. And you are supposed to be encouraged. If you are a Christian, let me tell you something right now. Jesus is coming to get you, my friend. He wants you. He wants you to be with him. And he will come and get you. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. This isn't the only passage that clearly speaks of the rapture in the Bible. Let me take you to a few of them. And you can see what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 15. Jump down to the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the great chapters in all of the Bible. It starts with the gospel that Jesus died and rose again that we need to put our faith in. And then it goes off on the resurrection, that the resurrection of Jesus really happened, that it had to happen, and that all of us who are in Christ have the hope of a resurrection after death. But then by the end of this long chapter, it gets down to this. Jump with me to verse 51, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. It says, behold, look at this, check this out. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not going to all die. But we shall all be changed. Now again, he gets their attention. and He says, let me tell you a mystery. Paul used that phrase when he was going to reveal something in Scripture that had not been previously understood. So he says, let me tell you a mystery. I want to tell you something. And you might not have heard it before. And you might not believe it. But not everybody's going to die. But we are all going to be changed. Okay? And throughout uh, growing up, if anybody's grown up going to church, you know that 1 Corinthians 15, 51 is the banner verse for nurseries all over churches across America. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So that's a bad Christian joke that if you didn't know, you need to get in on our bad humor. So there you go. That's verse, that's verse 51. Just baby verse. We should, we should print it on diapers. Anyways, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about not everybody's going to die. Some of us are going to be transformed. And look at how it describes it. Verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Here's this trumpet again. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And then we, here he again, he's putting himself into it. We, he and the Christians that he's writing to, we shall be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Well, there's going to be a generation of Christians that won't even die. And the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What hope we have as Christian people here this morning that we will not see death, but Jesus will come and we would be caught up. What an amazing thing to think about, to be caught up, to be with the Lord in the air. In a moment, we would be changed. I mean, wouldn't that be great in heaven? Well, how did you die? Well, I didn't die, you know. Hanging out right there with Elijah and Enoch. Yeah, you know, we just went straight up to heaven. That's going to happen to a group of people. Go to John 14 and you'll see now Jesus promising this to his disciples here in the upper room discourse. Right before, on the night before he dies, he's washed the disciples' feet. He's talked about Judas betraying him. He said Peter's going to deny him. And now he wants to teach them some things about what's going to happen after he leaves them. And the idea that Jesus is going to leave them is very troubling to his disciples. And so he says this in John 14. Look at verse 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, you're leaving, Jesus. How could we not be troubled? Well, he says, you've got to believe in God. You've got to believe also in me. In my Father's house, my Father's dwelling place, there are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. I mean, here's Jesus promising that he's going to ultimately go away and prepare a place for us, and then he's going to come and get us and take us there to be with him. And we know that didn't happen for these uh, disciples that he was talking to on that night. No, he says a lot of things in this discourse that are for all of his disciples throughout time to study and learn from. And here's a promise straight from Jesus Christ. Jesus is preparing a place for you right now, and he's going to come and get you and take you there to be with him. Does that sound like a good way to spend a day? Anybody want to go be with Jesus Christ today? That's the hope that you have here. He's going to come, and he's going to get you. And it's not like he's just going to come and get all the Christians. No, it's personal. He's going to come, and he's going to get you. You're one of his people. He's preparing a place for you. You're on his list. He wants to get you. Now, we've looked at three clear passages here in the Scripture that are all promising that this is going to happen. We need to get this in our minds. We need to realize this is true. We need to get ready for this, okay? So point number one, let's start like this. We need to get down with going up. That's point number one. Let's get down with going up. We need to all get on the same page. And this needs to become the hope and the expectation of our hearts that we don't know how much long we've got left. And we don't know when this is going to happen. And and really, that's how people miss the point. I just told you from three different passages that Jesus Christ himself wants to come and get you and take you to be with him forever. And he's going to do it in this amazing way where you're caught up to be with him in the clouds. And that's just the beginning of an endless joy and delight of being in the presence of Jesus. And immediately people are starting to ask the most ridiculous, nonsensical questions that people ask all the time whenever you bring up the rapture. So do you think we're going to be wearing clothes when we go up into the clouds? That's oh, a big question everybody's got. 
Because I saw this one movie where the clothes stayed on the ground, and I'm thinking, so are we naked up there? It's like, I don't see nudity in any of these passages. Like, why are we talking about this? We get bogged down in nonsensical details, and then the big thing that everybody wants to talk about is, well, when is it going to happen? I mean, what are you? Are you pre-tribulational, post-tribulational, mid-tribulational, pre-wrath? Like, what, where exactly do you see this playing out? That's what everybody wants to find out immediately. I just told you Jesus is going to come and get you. Let's get excited about this. No, i got to figure out what do you believe about this. This is very confusing to me. Let's debate. Let's argue. Let's miss the point. That's what Christians have done. Okay, we're talking about eschatology, the study of the last things. Here's the point of eschatology. Jesus wants you. He's coming to get you. Be ready. All right, let's close in prayer. You know what I'm talking about? That's a good message. That's an encouragement for your soul here this morning. Well, what is this whole debate about? Oh, blah, 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 blah. I think it's going to happen like this. No, you're wrong. I hate you. All this kind of stuff. That's not what it's supposed to be. This is something we can all get together on. We can all rejoice in. Jesus Christ is coming to take you home. Go back to 1 Thessalonians. And let's just focus in on this. And so we will always be with the Lord. Now the Thessalonians, this was a big part of how they thought. Of how they lived their life. <laughs> Expectation. That Jesus was coming back. It doesn't just mention the rapture in this one passage that we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians 4. No, it kind of mentions it throughout the book. Look at a couple other verses. Start with me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Check this out. This is the reputation of the Thessalonians. We know that this was a church that was spreading the gospel, not just in their city, but all over really their country, really, the region that they were in. And we know that they loved each other like a family. This is a good example of a church. And here's the reputation these people had. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. That they were known for people who wait for his son from heaven. Like they're expecting Jesus to come back. They're anticipating. They're waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So what these people were known for is that they couldn't wait for Jesus to get back because here's what Jesus was going to do. There was wrath that was coming. There was judgment that was going to come upon the earth and Jesus was going to rescue them. He was going to snatch them out of that judgment. That's what they thought. In fact, not only did they think that, everybody around them knew that they thought that because they were so focused on this return of Jesus Christ and so expecting it to happen in their lifetime. Jump down to chapter 5. Now, you'll notice here in chapter 5, we're going to get into this section called the Day of the Lord. After we do our rapture series, we're going to do a couple weeks on the Day of the Lord, which is a prophesied time of judgment coming upon the earth. It's throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can't escape it. It's going to happen. And it says here in this passage on the Day of the Lord, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. Just a little preview of where we're going to go in the next few weeks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath. If you're a Christian here, you're not going to experience wrath. No, you're going to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Thessalonians didn't just see salvation as something that had happened to them in the past when they had been saved from their sins. They also saw salvation to have this future aspect where there is wrath and judgment that is coming and God is going to get us out of that wrath and judgment. That sounds pretty good to me. Go to Revelation. We're, if we're going to talk about eschatology, we're going to end up in the book of Revelation. And a lot of people, they're just going to say, well, the book is so, you know, 
symbolic. It's apostolic, apocalyptic literature. Excuse me, it's just so hard to understand. What can we really make sense of Revelation? Well, actually, if you read it and just take it for what it says, you can make a lot of sense of it. It starts with Jesus here in chapter 1 being revealed in his glory. Then he gives letters to seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. We get a glimpse of heaven in chapters 4 and 5. And then in Revelation chapter 6, the wrath just starts coming. And it goes all the way to chapter 19 when Jesus comes to establish a kingdom and to reign with his people. That's the book of Revelation. And here in one of the letters to one of the churches, look at chapter 3 verse 10. Jesus just drops a promise in here to this church of Philadelphia, this church who's a good church, who's sticking with it. They're persevering even though it's so hard for them. And look at this promise in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. He says, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, because you're sticking with it, you're persevering, you're running to the finish line, because you're doing that, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, a lot of people, they throw this verse out because it's in a letter to one church, the Church of Philadelphia, but it seems to me that it's pretty clear that the intention of Jesus Christ is that those people who are really His, who are living for Him, He does not want them to experience tribulation, judgment that is coming. He wants to deliver them out of that. Okay, so for all of you eschatologists, all of you guys who want to talk about, well, when's it going to happen? Well, you could categorize us as a pre-tribulational rapture church because here's what we believe. Jesus is going to deliver you from wrath. Is that good news for anybody here? If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. And here's some scriptures that definitely give a strong impression that the logic in the mind of Jesus is, if I've saved you, then you're not going to experience judgment, and I'm going to get you out of there. Okay, so point number two, let's put it down like this. Let's praise Jesus for saving you from judgment. Let's praise Jesus that if there's a time to test the world, that to try the world that's coming upon the whole world, this terrible time we refer to as the day of the Lord, well, here's some promises and the pattern of Scripture that God's going to get His people out of the judgment. And He's going to deliver us. And that should give us a great sense of hope. I mean, personally, I can see how the world is working towards judgment. Wake up this morning and you find out that ISIS is killing Christians in Ethiopia. Anybody else wake up to that? I mean, do you want to stick around and watch America continue to get worse and to turn more and more away from God? Or no, do you vote that Jesus gets his people out of here right now? That's what I'm rooting for, see? I don't want to experience the judgment that is coming upon the world. I want to be a part of something different. And that's the, that's the pattern throughout all of Scripture. Whenever the Bible warns you about judgment, the point of it telling you about judgment is so that you can get saved now so you won't have to experience judgment. Many of you guys know this. You just don't know that you know this. You've eaten a double-double before and you've celebrated this. Anybody ever had a double-double at In-N-Out Burger before? Was that just... I see some Christians. Oh, is that just brutal right now? 11.57 and we're dropping double-doubles? Oh. I'll be going to the one on beach after the service. Maybe I'll see some of you guys there. Now, did you notice what goes on on the wrapper of the double-double? Boom. They, you know, they'd like to drop a few verses in and out. Nahum 1-7. Book of Nahum. You were probably doing devotions in that just the other day, weren't you? You probably couldn't find the book of Nahum until I just said it. Some of you guys didn't know there was a book of Nahum in there, right? The book of Nahum, it's a brutal book. God is in the whirlwind. God will destroy everything. God will judge everything. 
And then all of a sudden, there's this one verse that's on the double-double. The Lord is a refuge for those who come to him. He wants to protect his people from judgment. It is not like God the Father to let his children experience his wrath. He wants to deliver them. And I believe that he will get us out of here before the judgment comes down. Us Christians, we will go up. And that is good news, my friends. Okay? It's good news. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, someday you are going to see him face to face. And you will be in his presence, beholding his unveiled glory for all of eternity. That is going to happen to you. That's what I'm here to say this morning if you're a Christian. Okay? <coughs> now, that's good news. Anybody want to say it as well with my soul? One more time. Anybody feeling that? Let's just get real. You don't even know what it's like to have your soul be well with your soul. Okay? You think you've enjoyed a relationship with Jesus. You think, well, I have joy. I have peace. I have blessing in my relationship with Jesus. You don't know anything about what it's like to know Jesus. And I don't either. All we've ever had with Jesus, if we have a relationship with, with him at all, whether you've been a Christian for weeks or for years, all we've ever had with Jesus is a long-distance relationship, my friends. And someday, we're going to get to be with him. When he goes to prepare a place for us and he comes to get us, that's the language of a groom who, who is betrothed to someone who is going to prepare a place so he can come and get his wife and take her to be with him. Somebody's in the room here and they're engaged and they're like, I'm engaged and I'm so in love and I just know what love is. And love is great when we're engaged. We don't live together, you know, but, but we love each other. You know what I mean? And we just know what that is. And then next to them, we got a married couple who's been married for 33 years. They've had good times. They've had bad times. They've had a family. And they're saying, well, we know what love is. Who are you going to listen to about love right there, my friends? Go to the engaged people? Or go to the people who have been living it physically, intimately, together, two people becoming one for decades. Who knows about love? See? We're, all of us right now, we're just engaged to Jesus Christ. We haven't even experienced the wedding. So if you think it's sweet to know Jesus right now, you haven't even experienced sweetness yet, my friend. You don't even, you don't even know the delight it will be. The rapturous joy you will feel in your heart when you lay eyes on Jesus Christ. You haven't experienced anything like that yet. The best we can confidently say is yet to come. And some of us know this from our own personal experience. Anybody ever been in a long-distance relationship before? Anybody here? Do I have any hands? Any romantic people? Who's read Jane Austen? Where are my people at here? Anybody get, get a little romantic at all here? Right? And I, I, I met my wife when we were freshmen in college. And we were going to get married. We knew it. We fell in love with each other at the cafeteria at our college. It was so romantic. But we, we weren't going to get married until we graduated from college. At least that's what our parents told us. And so we had some time before we could get married. And uh, every summer, I would go to Texas. Our college was here in California, and my family lived in Texas. So I would go out to Texas, and we would have this long-distance relationship every summer. Now, these days, people in long-distance relationship, they're Skyping. They're FaceTiming. Back in the day, people were writing handwritten letters. Well, I fell in love at a very unique time in the history of the world, the time of the dial-up Internet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody remember when you had to call the Internet? Internet, hello? Will you pick up my call? Internet? Anybody know AOL? Does that mean anything to anybody? Who had a Juno email account? Anybody have one of those? I had one of those. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, you, you tried to call the Internet, and the Internet never picked up. That ever happened to anybody, right? 
So here I am waiting for this email from this girl that I love, and I'm dialing the internet, hoping we're going to connect this time, right? And the computer's out there in the middle of the house with my family, and I know my brothers are lurking, wanting to prey upon, oh, what did she send you today, you know? So I print that email up, and I run into my room, and I close the door, and I just pour over every word. I highlight it. I underline it. I picture her saying it to me. I say something back, right? (laughs) This is long-distance relationship. I'm in love. I got a letter from the girl in California. And I start crafting my response. What am I going to say back? And I call the internet again, right? That's what we've got with Jesus Christ. Now, nobody, I don't know anybody. I mean, if they say this, they're crazy. Who would rather be in a long distance with the person that they love than rather be with the person that they love? Man, if you love somebody, your whole desire is to be in their presence, to gaze upon them with your eyes, to hear the sound of their voice. And that's the burning passion that we should have. You've never done that with Jesus Christ yet. Don't you want to see him? Don't you want to be with him? Isn't that going to be so much better than anything that you've experienced long distance right now? Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. It describes this long distance relationship and the, the rapture. That's When we hear the phrase rapture, I hope we don't think of science fiction events in the future. I hope that we think of the ecstatic joy or delight we will have when we see Jesus. That's what the word rapture means. Ecstatic joy or delight. And you're just in love long distance with Jesus right now. And you haven't even seen him yet. Look at how it describes it. This is 1 Peter chapter 1. Start with me in verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith... More precious, right now your faith is being tested here in this life. It's more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Well, this faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ when you get to see him and be with him. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Long distance right now. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Right now, we we love him by faith. And look what it says here. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Consider this for a minute. You haven't even really known salvation yet as a Christian. You might know your salvation from sin, but this salvation that it's talking about, to be with Jesus, to rejoice with a joy that you cannot even imagine right now, that I cannot even express to you right now, this joy that you will have when you see Jesus, the rapture of your soul, my friend. What delight it will be when long distance becomes the face-to-face. And then it talks about how the prophets long to know this, the angels long to know this. Everybody's so interested in this relationship that we have with Jesus. Skip on down to verse 13. So here's the conclusion of this thought that Peter's giving us. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your whole hope, your motivation... Everything you've got should be focused on the fact of future grace when you get to see Jesus. That the best part of your life is yet to come when you behold Jesus and you get to be with him. That's what it's saying right here. 
and this should encourage you every day of your life. There should never be a day where a Christian person doesn't say Maranatha to themselves and think about and be motivated by and long for being with Jesus. This is our driving force. And most Christian people I talk to today, they don't even think about Jesus coming back on a regular basis. And here it says, set your hope fully on the future grace of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Take heart, my friend. This long-distance relationship is only short-term. Let's get that down for point number three. Take heart. Long-distance is only short-term. This is, this is going to come to an end. And man, three years, I dated my wife before we got married. Seemed like a long time when we were going through it. But now that we've been married for a while, now that we've got kids, man, it seems like it was barely anything. Because of the joy of being with my wife and being married to her now, it has just overwhelmed that little bit of time where we were in this long-distance relationship. And that has how this life is going to feel to you when you are with Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to diminish trials that people are going through in this room. we got some people coming in here with some hard situations, some heavy hearts. But I'm here to tell you that what you're going through now is going to be so overwhelmed by the joy that you're going to have in seeing Jesus that this whole life, no matter how long you suffer, no matter how many trials you go through in this life, the whole thing will seem so brief and so worth it when you're overwhelmed with being with Jesus forever. It's coming. It's coming. Set your hope fully on it. Live every day like, I don't know when I'm going to see Jesus, but he said he's coming soon, so I'm going to keep living for him and putting my hope on this future grace of Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John 14. Let's continue that discussion that Jesus had with his disciples. Trying to paint a picture for you here that would make your heart say Maranatha, and I wouldn't want anyone here to experience anathema. So what's the difference between those who go up to be with Jesus and those who stay down and get left behind? Well, the difference is those who go up have this long-distance relationship with Jesus. They love Jesus. Can you tell me here this morning that you love Jesus? How do you know you love Jesus? Is it a feeling? Is it an emotion when we sing a certain song? Does it always want to make you cry when you hear the good news of Jesus? Does it do something to your inside? What does it mean to love Jesus? How do you know this morning? If he comes back and he, all the Christians are caught up, how do you know if you'll be caught up? Or if you'll still be here and all of a sudden you'll be remembering this morning when we preach this sermon and we show that video and now you missed it. How do you know what's going to happen to you? Well, here in John 14, Jesus makes it very clear what it looks like if someone loves him. Look at this, John 14, verse 15. Look at it with me. Very clear. If you love me, you will. What does he say there? Everybody shout it out. What? Boom. Here's how you can know if you love me. Let me just put a statement out there. If you really love me, you'll do what I ask you to do. That's how you can know. Do you do what Jesus says? You have a long-distance relationship with Jesus. That's the claim of every person who would say here this morning, I'm a Christian. Well, what you're telling me is that you know Jesus Christ and you have a relationship with him right now by faith, someday by sight. Well, then you should be the person who's pouring over every word that Jesus would send you in a letter in this book that he's inspired. You should be underlining it. You should be highlighting it. You should be thinking, this is the one that I love, telling me to do these things, and I want to live for him every day until I get to be with him. See, 
So you, if you love Jesus, you keep his commandments. And look at the relationship he wants to have with his people. Keep reading. Verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Okay, I'm going to go away, but don't worry. I'm going to send you a helper who will be with you forever. In fact, he's the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because they don't, they don't know me. They, they neither see him nor know him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be with you. Here's the heart of Jesus. I will not leave you as orphans, he says. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. I'm going to rise from the dead. You'll see me then. Because I live, you also will live. And in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Hey, I don't want to leave you as orphans. I don't want to leave you alone. I know, I know we have a long-distance relationship, but there's still a sense, Jesus says, where I'm going to come to you. One of the things that I hear Christian people say sometimes when they're going through a hard time, when they're going through this real struggle in their life, is they'll tell me, I feel so alone. And I think, but Jesus is with you. But isn't he the love of your life? Don't you have a relationship with him? I mean, when you're hurting... When you're down, can you pour out your heart to Jesus and know that he loves you and you love him? That's what he's talking about here. Saying, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to come to you. In fact, look at what he says here in verse 21. He reemphasizes it again, just in case anybody missed it. Whoever has my commandments, you've got the, the things that I said, the things I told you to do, and keeps them, obedience, that's the one who loves me. He it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Hey, I'm looking for the people who love me, and if you love me and you're doing what I say, hey, let me just tell you right now, I'm going to love you. And my Father's even going to love you, and I'm going to come to you and show myself to you. Hey, the long-distance relationship we have with Jesus right now isn't going to be as good uh, as it is when we're going to be with him, but it's a whole lot better than being by ourselves right now. I mean, it's still a powerful force in our life that we can have this experience, this presence of Jesus Christ with us every single day. He wants to make himself manifest to you, he says. And it's like, well, what does that mean? That sounds very spiritual. Well, Judas asked the question. Judas, not Iscariot, verse 22, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself towards us? What does that mean? How are you going to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, well, let me just tell you one more time in case you missed it. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him. And now he says it in the most beautiful way yet and make our home with him. So yeah, we might be long distance and we might not be home yet. Jesus is going to come and take us there. But there's a sense right now where Jesus is coming to make a home with us. For those of us who love Jesus, we have this relationship with him. He wants to come and he wants to be with you now. And someday he wants to come and take you physically to be with him for all of eternity. This is the way that Jesus loves you. Don't just think that Jesus loved you by dying on the cross. He proved his love there. But his love is not done yet, my friend. There's more to Jesus' love that you have yet to experience that's going to be better than anything you have previously experienced. And so i got to ask you, very straightforward, if the difference between being caught up and being left behind is the people who are caught up love Jesus and the people who are anathema don't love Jesus, well, do you love Jesus? And he says very clearly that those who love me keep my commands. They obey my word. So do you obey Jesus here today? Do you do what he says? 
Now, see, now we're taking it out of feelings. We're taking it out of personal experience, and we're making it very black and white. This book is full of things that it says don't do or do. Many of them Jesus explicitly says. Do you listen to what Jesus says? Do you do what Jesus says? That's how you can know right now if you're ready for the rapture or not. It's black and white. It's not about what happened to you in the past. It's not about how you feel. It's not about how long you've been calling yourself a Christian. No. Do you live in obedience to Jesus? That means you love him if you do. If you don't live in obedience to Jesus, he said it three different times, and then he says it here just in case, you know, hello, McFly, we didn't get it. Verse 24 right here. Whoever does not love me does not keep my word. So let me just say it the opposite way in case that helps. And the word that you hear is not mine. I'm not saying this of myself, Jesus says. No, I'm saying it from the Father. This is a word of the Lord that I declare to you. We had a guy yesterday here at the church. We go evangelizing every, every Saturday at 10. We got an ice cream truck. We go out in the streets. We try to invite people to come and hear about Jesus Christ. We do evangelism training at 9 o'clock. Very few people show up for evangelism training on Saturday at 9 o'clock. There were four people there yesterday. So we spent the whole time talking about repentance. This is the word of the day. We want to get this word out on the street. We want to let people know they can turn from their sin and they can find a new life in Jesus Christ. What verse would you use to, look, to talk about repentance? Let's look up that verse. Hey, what verse would you use to talk about repentance? Let's look up that verse. We're just doing a great Bible study at 9 o'clock on a Saturday morning on repentance. We are getting fired up. Four people there, right? All church-going people, been going to church for a long time. At the end of our Bible study, one of the guys says, I, I don't think I'm going to go out evangelizing today. It's like, dude, we were just getting pumped up. Why wouldn't you go? because I've never repented of my sin. After that Bible study, it's very clear to me that I am still in my sin. And I don't want to be in my sin. I've tried to stop it many times. But the truth is, at the end of the day, I keep on doing it. My sin has power over me, he says. He's a good guy. But at least he seems like a good guy to me. Been calling himself a Christian for a long time. He's been to many different churches in the local area. But the truth is, he didn't obey Jesus. And he realized it. And he opened up about it. And we ended up talking about how right there, he could find a new life in Jesus Christ. And he could find the power to say no to sin in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he prayed about that. And he got saved right here at our church. We didn't even have to leave the church to do evangelism yesterday morning. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's what's going on. So, so let's just make this very clear. I don't know what you've heard, and I don't know where you've been, or how long you've called yourself a Christian, or what church you think you've gone to. Here's what Jesus Christ says. If you love me, you obey my commands. So you take that to heart, my friend, and you ask yourself, do you do what Jesus says? Do you live to learn the words of Jesus and to live them out in your life? Do you live with this sense that you love him so much that someday you're just waiting for it? You're hoping it's going to be today. You're praying before you come to church that somebody's going to get saved right here in this service and they'll be the last person we're waiting for so all of us Christians can go home to Jesus Christ. See, that's what it means to love Jesus, to want to be with him. You're one of the few people who throughout history will cry out this old word that many people don't know what it means. You'll say, Maranatha, come, O Lord. Because I want to be with Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you so much that you would teach us about what's going to happen in the future. That you would give us that. That mystery would be revealed. That word of the Lord would be authoritatively told to us. And that we could see the promise of Jesus. That we could get a glimpse 
into his heart that he wants to be with his people, those who love him, who do what he says. He wants to make his home with us. He's not going to leave us as orphans. He's going to come to us. He's going to manifest himself to us. God, what a precious relationship we can have with Jesus Christ. But God, then to think that that's just long distance, that someday he's going to call us and we're going to be caught up and we'll see his glorious face unveiled up there in the clouds and we will worship him face to face and we'll always be with him from that point on, never lacking the presence of Jesus Christ in our lives. God, let us long for that day. Let all of us who love Jesus cry out here with our hearts, Maranatha, oh Lord, come. I want to see Jesus. Let us set our hope fully on that grace of seeing his face. And God, I pray that no one here would be left behind. God, I do pray that the rapture will happen in our lifetime, and I pray that no one here would have to go through missing the rapture. God, I pray that they will hear what your word is saying this morning, that they will ask themselves, do I obey Jesus? Do I love him? Do I live to do what he says? And God, if there's someone who finds out that they don't really love Jesus this morning, God, let them not be anathema. Please turn their hearts around. Draw them to yourself. Let them leave that sin behind. Let them leave that disobedience behind. And let today be the day that you save souls. God, we we cry out, Maranatha, we want to see Jesus. Please hear our prayer in Jesus' name.